It's great to see you all here on a rainy morning. We're glad that you made it to Creekside Church. Visitors, we want to welcome you. In a moment, uh, they're going to play another song. We're going to continue in worship, and the offering's going to come around. If you're a visitor, that offering's not for you. You are our guest. Uh, that's for regular attendees. But what we would like you to do is take this tab in your bulletin, tear it off, fill it out, and put it in the offering as it comes around because we want to be able to answer any of your questions if you have them. If you look outside right now, uh, it, is, it is raining. This is not what it looked like yesterday. And uh, my wife was an awesome testimony of faith to me this week uh, because come Monday, we had the Easter egg hunt yesterday, if you didn't know that. And come Monday, I, I started getting on my phone looking at the weather and thinking, oh man, it's, it, the rain is forecasted. But my wife... In situations like that, she doesn't even look at the weather. She says, no, we're praying about it. It's going to be fine. And so come throughout the week, I kept, I kept looking at the weather app, right? And as the week went on, the rain started later and later and later and later in the day. And then come yesterday, it was about the most beautiful day we could have had for an Easter egg hunt, right? That's awesome. God answered some prayers with that. And that... That was only number one because there was about 150 kids that showed up for our Easter egg hunt. And right out there on that lawn, packed with over 300 people, kids, parents, it was amazing. So if you helped with the Easter egg hunt, why don't you just go ahead and raise your hand. If you helped with the Easter egg hunt, I just want everybody to give these people a hand because it was amazing. They came, they poured their heart and soul not into only doing whatever they were asked to do, but also loving on the people that came through these doors. And uh, it makes me so proud to be a part of a church that just loves people. It's said of this church so often that this is one of the most friendly churches I've ever been to um, and that people just love on you. And so I want to give a special thanks to my wife, Heather, because um, she would not come up here and thank herself. Um, so my wife, Heather, and Nan Han. Uh, so Nan, Heather's right back there. Nan, where are you? Raise your hand. Is Nan in here? She's not, but her husband is, so um, we'll, we'll clap for him, um, supporting his wife. But they did, uh, they just did an amazing job shaping this whole thing, putting it together, organizing it. The gospel was shared, Bibles were given out, and people stayed for over an hour hanging out in the, uh, in the playground just talking. It was amazing. So... God answered huge prayers with our Easter egg hunt yesterday. It was an awesome, amazing thing. All the elders in the room, please stand up right now. All the elders in the room, go ahead, stand up, stand up, stand up. These are our elders, and now I'm going to have you come forward. And Mark and Mary Bristow, um, we are going to announce them as members today. Again, membership, this is not salvation. Um, this is just a step for them to say, hey, we're committed to you as a church, and we are committed to them as a church, okay? Um, so I'm going to have Jeff pray for them, and then our offering is going to come around during the music after this. All right, thank you. Yeah, we were just giggling that finally, because we've been wanting to do this for several months, but it just hasn't worked out. So uh, you know what? This is a great, a great privilege, because Mark and you, you guys have just, since day one, you've hit the ground running, and, you know, you've been involved, you're doing things, taking care of the nursery. I mean, that's a huge thing. So um, we, we are very thank you for being part of our family and, and we're very proud of you for doing that so let's just thank the lord
Gracious Heavenly Father, we, uh, first off, we are just so uh, thankful for people uh, like Mark and his wife just coming in and, and um, not, you know, not taking a break, but just being involved, and, and we are so, so thankful for them. Uh, Mary taking over the, the nursery duties, and what an awesome thing that is for us. So, Father, we just thank you for their gifts, their talents, and, and just using them for your, for your glory and for your kingdom. Uh, it's people like this that, that make a church family uh, run and, and operate smoothly, and we are just so thankful for them. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the rain. We, we, we thank you for the beautiful day yesterday. Today, you've given us rain. We need it, and we thank you for that. Father, we just uh, we thank you for the offering we're going to be uh, taking here in just a little bit. Uh, we just ask that our hearts would be uh, open to, to giving to you and, and just giving back to you uh, to further your kingdom and to further your work. And uh, it's in your son's holy and blessed name that we ask all these things. Amen. Hey, as they sit down, I'm going to mention one more thing. Yesterday, to make the process a lot smoother, and it was a lot smoother, we gave away almost 5,000 eggs that had been donated by Women's Missionary Outreach. So what we're going to do is in order to do that again next year, we would love for y'all to go to the store after Easter. Easter eggs are on sale, and so we're going to start collecting them again right away after Easter for next year. Um, so let, let's, uh, let's, all, let's all worship together our God, our King. We're going to teach you guys a song. The band's going to teach you guys a song that I've been listening to for the last two, three weeks. How many of us in our Christian walk, in our lives, feel, and you can raise your hands, at times feel weak, tired, broken, heavy, uh, and, and lack strength? And it can only come from one place. How many of Everybody? I know I've been feeling that way for a few weeks. And uh, sometimes you try to do it on your own. And you try to power through it and, and will yourself through it. You know what? Sometimes it's okay just to be weak and worn down and tired. Because our God is a God who loves to help the weak. And loves to help us through our pains and the things that are driving us crazy every day and hurting our hearts. God loves to do that. And so it's okay to acknowledge before God or others, I'm worn down. I'm tired. My heart feels heavy, and I need you. We're going to sing the song. Uh, the cool thing is, I said I've been listening to it for the last two, three weeks, and it's been challenging me. Nick just texted me, not knowing that, just a few days ago. He said, song of the day, worn, and it's the same song I've been listening to. He said, I just feel tired and worn. He's been listening to the same song. And so we're going to teach that to you guys. As we get started here, Amy's going to start playing. I'm going to read you guys a couple verses. These are powerful verses. Listen to these before we sing this song. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In Matthew 11, 28 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
Thank you so much for bringing us here this morning, Lord. And we just praise you for that Easter egg hunt yesterday. And we pray that kids' lives were touched because of what you've done here, Lord, and how you've provided this building for us, Lord, and these ways to be able to reach out to the community, Lord. Now I pray as Alan comes to speak to us, Lord, that we can take our hurts, our brokenness, our pains, our weariness, and bring them before you, Lord, and that we can glorify you this morning. We can learn about you, and we can go take these things in our lives and reach out to others that are worn and have no idea the way out of that. So I pray that you would motivate us and you would take us out into this community and out to the world to preach to those who are worn down and tired and have no one to help them. In your name, amen. Well, today, uh, welcome to Creekside. Uh, If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, we are going through a series called Redemption. The idea is to think about what do we mean by the word redemption? And when we look at Scripture, uh, more importantly than what we think, what does God say about redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? Nick started this series off by looking at the story of of Adam and Eve and, and this idea that we start off this story in this perfect paradise where everything is good. Everything is just the way that God intended it to be. And then we all know the story. Sin comes in and there's this fall. And the story of how God came along and covered their nakedness. How these animals were, were, were killed to cover up their shame. And then last week, Austin continued this, this theme of redemption and we looked at the story of Abraham and Isaac and how God says, Abraham, I want you to give up what's most precious to you. And just this idea that can we, how can we trust God when he asks us to do the impossible? And, and, and the beautiful picture at the end of that story where God says, no, stop. And they look in the thicket and there's the, there's the sacrifice. And this beautiful picture pointing us towards the one who is coming, towards Jesus 
the great Redeemer, the great Messiah who would pay our price. And today, we're looking at another beautiful story of redemption from the Old Testament. And I want you to turn to the book of Ruth. And, and as, we, as we're going there, I, I, I was thinking this week about, you know, what, when we think of the word redemption, you know, what, what messages do we hear about redemption from the culture around us? And so I, I got onto a Google search. I, I wanted to look at news articles that had, had this word redemption in them. And, and, it, and three, three of them that kind of caught my eye that really kind of help us think about what, what redemption looks like, and from the eyes of, of the culture around us and, and what people think of, you know, the first was a headline from the Baltimore Sun. It said, convicted, all first trader seeks redemption, hiring others. Now, this is a guy who was a trader who was, had went to jail for some things he did wrong, and, and now he was back, and he, he's running this business, and he was trying to, as he was hiring people, look for people that were down on their luck, look for people that had made mistakes, the idea being that, hey, um, you know, maybe if I give these people a second chance, that's going to in some way uh, redeem my situation, redeem what, what I've been through. Now, the other thing you see a lot, if you read many sports articles, I mean, I don't know why, but sports writers love to use the word redemption. I mean, it's just like epidemic, and uh, so a couple of them, this was from motorsports.com, uh, an article, not a, not a place I go to frequently, but <laughs> Dale Earnhardt Jr. hoping for redemption at Darlington. Now, I have no idea. I know there's a race last night. Maybe someone who's into NASCAR knows whether he found his redemption at Darlington last night. But this idea that, that you know, you, if, if, you, if you struggle, you know, because the week before, I guess he didn't finish the race, and so... Man, I'm going to get my redemption at Darlington. You know, can he find his redemption? Another one that's a little more painful to read was from the New York Times. Uh, this was from a few weeks back. Uh, after the very first game of the NCAA tournament, it said, UConn extends its redemption tour. You know, they had just beat St. Joseph's in overtime, and the idea was they, they weren't in the tournament the year before because they had all these sanctions, and now they're on this redemption tour. And, well, I guess we know how that turned out, but... This idea that redemption in, in our culture is kind of something that we strive for. It's this, this effort to better ourselves or to, to atone for some kind of mistakes that we've made. And so as we look at the book of Ruth, we want to see a different picture of redemption uh, that's very radical um, in terms of what the world sees it. So turn to the book of Ruth. Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to kind of do a speed tour through the book of Ruth, so don't be alarmed. We're going to kind of skip around a little bit, but, but hopefully we, the story is intact and you can come away with, with some, uh, just some, some new thoughts and some things as you think about this concept of redemption. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1, in the, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. 
Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. And the first thing we want to think about is that redemption starts from a place of need. Redemption's need. Uh, you know, as, as, as Tim was, was talking before that song and, and as that song Warren started up, uh, just sitting here, um, and I've been, been reflecting this week about just the needs uh, around us. Uh, you know, every email that you get, you know, these prayer requests, sometimes it just seems like it's one thing after another. I mean, talking to Justin yesterday saying, hey, how's your niece doing? Um, Mark talking about, you know, Mary's going through, has dealt with all these, these medical issues and, and reading Brenda's update. Um, and, and as you just sit there, all these things just kind of start to overwhelm you and you just realize, man, we live in such a broken and hurting world. And these needs, man, we all feel them. I mean, they are so strong. You can't, you can't get away from them. And as that song was going, um, man, I just started to cry just thinking about the needs around us. And the book of Ruth, man, if you are in a place of hurt, if you are in a place of disappointment, I hope that this book is going to bring you just a sense of encouragement and refreshment as we think about some truths from the book of Ruth that I think, um, that I think apply to, to us all. But we see in, in the first five verses of Ruth, I mean, the author doesn't waste any time. One thing after another, there's a famine. And, and this man and his wife and his two sons are, are decide that the best course for them is, is to leave their home, their hometown of Bethlehem. And to go out in, into what really is a hostile place. Now, the, the, the nation of Moab, we know from, from earlier, if you, if you had looked earlier in the book of Judges, we know that they oppressed Israel for 18 years. And there's this famous story, of, you, you probably remember the story at the beginning of Judges where you've got the king Eglon and, and Ehud goes in and he said, hey, leave me alone for a little while with him. And the guy's very overweight and he, and he kills him and the, and the knife is basically unable to be retrieved, and, and the servants are all worried, and, and finally they go in and they realize that he's, he's dead and Ehud is gone. I mean, that's the nation of Moab. This was, these were enemies of Israel. Okay, they were going into enemy territory. Now, at, at this time, you know, it, they might have had more of an uneasy truce kind of thing. They weren't in active uh, war with each other, but still, it's got to be pretty desperate when you feel that that your best course is to move to a country like Moab. So, th so that's one thing. And then they get there, and, and Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. So she's left, she's a widow, but she still has her two sons, right? She has her two sons, they can take care of her. Now they, um, they end up, you know, they're there. Um, we don't know their ages, but they're probably young at the, at the age of, of marriage. And they, so they go and they marry two women from, from the land of Moab. And then, again, we don't know what happens, but these two sons also both pass away. So here we are, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Uh, 
and their situation is really desperate. It's really dangerous. Now, it's, it's always, I think, hard to, to be a widow and, and to lose that support and that, you know, that sense of safety and security. But in those times, it was even more so dangerous uh, because really women were, were really at, in, in a tough situation if their husband died, okay? They, and you look in the New Testament, and again and again, you see that one of the biggest things, one of the biggest things that the church was supposed to do was take care of widows. And, and it's because they really were at the outskirts of society. They really were in, in a hard situation. And so imagine that not only are, are, is this sense of support and, and safety gone for Naomi and both of her, her son's wives, but she's in this hostile land. She's in this land, Moab. I mean, if, any, if anyone has ever lived away from family, and I've been fortunate enough to, to where I have family uh, fairly close by, you know, 45 minutes from my parents and a couple of hours from my wife's, and, and being able to draw on that. I mean, we've, we've really relied on that this last few weeks where, where Lauren's been laid up after her surgery, and we had a week where her parents were here, and then the last couple of weeks she spent time up in Boone, and and just think about how important it is to have that family support. So imagine this widow in a foreign land without any support, and, and you can quickly see what a dangerous and desperate situation she's in. And if you trace down through this chapter, we're not going to read it, but I want to point out a few verses. We really get a strong sense of the, the tragedy, the hopelessness, that Naomi was, was facing. So she hears that maybe this famine has ended back home, and she decides, you know what, I need, I'm going to go home. But she, she's so down on her situation. If you look at verse 11, Naomi says, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband and then tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? She's saying, there is no hope left with me. If you stick with me, there is no future for you. And again, if, as you go down through, through the rest of chapter 1, um, if you look at verse 20, well, we'll look at verse 19, so Ruth, Ruth says, no, you know what, I am not, gonna, I'm not going back. One, one of the daughters, daughters-in-law leaves. Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. And she gives this beautiful, uh, this beautiful statement that your God will be my God. And where you go, I will go. And, and even, even to, to the sense of where you die, I will die. You know, she's saying, I don't care how bleak your situation is. I'm going to follow you. But, but even with all that, Look at verse 20, verse 19 and 20. So the two women went on till they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, the name Naomi means joy. 
and she felt so hopeless that she couldn't bear to hear her own name. She says, don't call me that anymore. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because the only thing I identify with right now is bitterness. She's hopeless. She's bitterness. Her dreams for her life have essentially been shattered. They are gone. And, you know, when they, remember when they left Bethlehem, it was a time of famine. But she looks back at that time of famine, and she says, when I left, I left full. And now I'm coming back, and I'm empty. She has lost hope. Now, I know there are people in this room right now, and just singing that song and thinking about it, where, you know what? You don't feel much hope. You can really identify with Naomi. You say, man, six months ago I was full, but now I feel empty. Two years ago I felt full, and now I feel empty. Ten years ago I was full. Man, my life was good. And everything since then, all I can say is it's left me empty. Now, I want to just to do something here. Um, I didn't plan on doing this, but it, as, as we're singing that song, I just want everyone to stop, close your eyes for a second, to think about um, your areas of, of deepest need, to think about people close to you that you know are, are going through hard times, to just take a moment to think of those situations and to ask God to, to work in them. God, we pray that as we are here together today, that your word, your word would encourage us. And as we think about Naomi and Ruth, that we would see our story and their story, that you would bring us hope and encouragement today. In your name we pray, amen. And the question when you're facing these kind of issues and these kind of problems really is, what is God doing? Is God really working when I can't see it? Is God still in control? Does God understand what I'm going through right now? Okay? Does God know that I'm feeling this pain and this loss? You know, some of us here have, have lost family members recently. Some are fighting cancer. Some are dealing with other deep, deep, physical needs. Some have emotional and spiritual needs that they are not even telling anyone about. Okay, but you, if you're honest, I think you can find something in your life or in someone's life close to you that is just broken. And you know what? This is where redemption starts. It starts in the brokenness. It starts in the need. And if you can't see your need, if you can't see the brokenness in your life, then you're not going to find redemption. It's not going to be there. Now, one thing that, uh, as I was reading some different people on, on this passage, one thing that really came out, and, and uh, this was from John Piper, but he said, you know, one thing about Naomi, she was so, had so lost hope that she said, you know, God has, the Lord has brought me back empty. And he says, you know what? 
that was really not true, okay? Because you see in the next verse, Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the Moabitess. You know what? She had a close friend. She could have come back totally without anyone. She had Ruth. Now, she still had all these things, these, these things facing her, but you know what? When we get to this point of hopelessness and, and, and hurt and need, something happens where we become blind to the things that we really do have. We become unable to see them. And, and that is, you know, if, if, you've, if you have, and I, and I haven't experienced this um, to an extent personally, but if you have talked to people who have been through depression, um, they say, you know what, it's impossible for me to see any hope. It's impossible for me to see anything good. And I would just say, if you are in that situation, man, seek out someone who can, who can just pray with you, who can encourage you, who can just help remind you of the truth of what Scripture says about you. Because Naomi could not see anything good. And yet, hidden in this verse are signs of hope. The second one was they were arriving in Bethlehem as the bar- barley harvest was beginning. And we see that that becomes an important thing as you go through this story where in Naomi's hopelessness and, and need, you know, Ruth says, well, we've got to eat. And she says, I'm just going to go out to the field and I'm going to pick up the scraps. And I was talking to my daughter this morning and, and I said, you know, you know about the story of Ruth, right? And I had to kind of remind her the beginning and she said, oh yeah, that's, she goes in the field and she's picking up some, some pieces of grain and and the guy says, well, drop some bigger pieces of grain for her. And I said, yeah, that's the story. But the idea that even in this hopelessness, she said, Ruth says, I'm, I'm going to go out and do what I can do. And she goes out and she's picking up these pieces of grain. And, and you go through chapter 2 and you see, you begin to see a picture of redemption happening. And, and Boaz, here's this wealthy, this wealthy uh, man, this man of means, who, who sees Ruth, and, he, and he, tells his, he tells his help, you know, yeah, leave some, leave some grain for her. Let, her. let her come in, take care of her, give her protection. And we see redemption beginning to happen, the sense of security and, and hope that Boaz is giving to Ruth. And, and as you see down in verse, chapter 2, um, verse 11, Boaz said, well, let's look at verse 10. She bowed down with her face. This is her first uh, interaction with, with Boaz. After he said, hey, stay in my field. Gather, gather here. Uh, you'll be taken care of. You'll be provided for. Ruth said, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Now, Ruth understands that she's an outsider. I don't think, I think that that what she told Naomi in chapter 1, that how she would follow her becomes even more amazing when you realize that she knew that as a foreigner going into Israel, she would be persona non grata, okay? Who is going to go out of their way to help a foreigner? And if you look at the history of Moab, there's, at the end of, of Deuteronomy, you see, you know, there's, there's, this, uh, there's this passage that talks about how in De- Deuteronomy 25, the, I won't read it, but the Moabite nation, God pronounced a curse on them. And that said, for 10 generations, this curse is going to be, and, and you read some different commentaries, and some say, you know, that 10 generations extended even longer. It was just a way to say uh, that this nation had been cursed. But either way, 
Man, this was a country that if you were an Israelite, you knew God put a curse on this country. And so Naomi and, 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 and Ruth in this situation saying, man, I'm a foreigner. Why, why are you giving me this kindness? And to me, it's a reminder that redemption is for outcasts. Redemption is for people who are on the fringes of society. Redemption is for everyone. You know, if you were, if you were to say, if you were to think in your mind like, oh, who are the people worthy of redemption? Who are the people that God would reach out to? Um, in our mind, you know, I think we have different sets of criteria. God is looking for the hopeless and the lost and the outcast. And that's what we see in this, in this passage in Ruth. And so Ruth, you know, to kind of summarize the, the next section, she goes, she goes home, she tells Naomi about this. Naomi begins to get, to get a little hope and they come up with this plan. She says, you know what, I want you to go to Boaz because she hears the name Boaz and she says, Boaz is our redeemer. Now, redeemer had a very technical kind of meaning back in those times, and, and I'm not going to get into the, the passages, but the idea was that if you, for example, owned a piece of ground and you had to sell it because you went into, into some kind of financial difficulty, the redeemer was that next of kin who had the ability and, and the, the means to buy back that ground to buy it back so that you could reclaim it, so that you could live there again. Okay, that was one, that was one sense. Another sense was this, in this idea of marriage, that if, if a man passed away and he had a younger brother who, who had the ability to, to marry his widow, that, that their children, their first child, their first son, would, would carry on the name of the, of the deceased person. So Naomi's saying, hey, he is our redeemer. Now, I don't, need, I don't know how, how Naomi even thought how he would respond to this, but, you know, we, we can see some clues to Boaz's character in this chapter. In chapter 2, Boaz said, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly regarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And he recognized in Ruth someone who had come to take refuge under the wings of God. Now, still, this was a risky plan. This was what, what they decided to do was really, uh, you think about it, what Naomi tells her to do says, hey, you know, go up. He's sleeping. Lay down by his feet. When he wakes up, tell him, hey, you know, you are a redeemer. Now, you, you can understand that, you know, it's like, oh, go, go lay at the feet of this, of this old guy while he's sleeping. What bad thing can happen, you know? Um, there was a real risk there that, you know, if, if Boaz wanted to, he could have completely destroyed her reputation. He could have taken advantage of her. All these things could have happened um, by what she was doing. And yet, you can see in the sense of desperation going and coming up with this plan. And, and so, you see in chapter 3, Chapter 3, she says, in, when he wakes up and says, Who are you? She says, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The ESV says, Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. This idea of, of really repeating this, this idea of what Boaz has said to her, that you have come to take refuge under the wings of God. And Ruth says, Spread your wings over me. 
She's saying, you know what, I want, can you be God's means to bring me redemption? And obviously she was saying, I want you to become my husband. I want you to take on this role of redeemer. And Boaz, being, being this, uh, this man of means, you know, he could have responded so many different ways. He was under no obligation to respond to this plea from this desperate widow who was a foreigner from the land of Moab. But what we see is this beautiful picture of grace. Boaz, he does not take advantage of her. He does not, he treats her with such, such tenderness and respect and love. And he says, you know what? Stay here. He says, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take care of this tomorrow. Naomi, at the end of, verse, of chapter 3, says, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Um, and, and what a beautiful picture this is of redemption. You know, someone who is in need, who has absolutely no way, there was nothing that Naomi and Ruth could do on their own. They could not earn any kind of redemption. There was no hope for them unless someone stronger Someone with means intervened. And you know, that is, that is the case with us, right? In a spiritual sense, we, we, are, we have no hope, okay? There's nothing we can do to clean ourselves up for God. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves the kind of person that, that would deserve to be given this redemption. We're just like Ruth. And yet, this picture of Boaz reminds us of Jesus who comes and says, no, you know what? I will reach out to the outcast. I'll reach out to those who are under the curse. I'll reach out to those who are on the outskirts of society and bring them in to be a part of my bride, to be a part of my church. Now, some of you, are, if you're thinking about this and you're saying, wait, you know, we're how is it that Boaz could marry a foreigner? Um, one one uh, passage that I think it just helps us think about this is, is Isaiah 56. I'm just going to read it and, and leave it with you. Isaiah 56, 6. It says, Foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to serve Him, to love the name of the Lord and to worship Him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. Back, back in verse 3, it said, Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And isn't that, isn't that cool that even, even for those who are outside the nation of Israel, God's heart was to say, Come. And you see that over and over again in Scripture, that open, that invitation, at the end of the, of the Bible, I love when Jesus says, you know, all who are thirsty, come. That even the foreigner could come. They could come and, and become a part of, 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 of this people, this people belonging to God. Well, Ruth chapter 4, um, you see Boaz, he doesn't rest. He goes to the city gate. He says, I want to redeem, I want to redeem Ruth. 
but there's another guy who has the ride ahead of me. And so he gives him this opportunity. And at first the guy says, yeah, you know, uh, he's thinking about the land and he says, yeah, I'll buy, I'll buy that land and, and I'll, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz says in 4 verse 5, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. You know, part of of redemption is price, right? There was a price to be paid. And, and the guy who was first in line said, you know what? I can't do it. I can't redeem it. It would endanger my own estate because were they to have a child, then that child would be carrying on the estate of, of Elimelech and Naomi. And so it was costly. And this guy says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pay the price. And you think about our redemption, man, our price was a lot more than, than money. Our price was the precious blood of Christ, of the perfect lamb, the only one who ever lived, who never did anything wrong. It took his blood to buy us. That was the price. So redemption comes with a cost. We're thinking about that, that verse that Nick started out with in, 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 uh, from 1 Corinthians 6.20. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. You know, how do we respond to this idea that Jesus paid a price for our soul? Now, whenever I went through this, this book, I, I've always you know, had this, heard this focus on Boaz as the kinsman redeemer, but I want, I want you to see something else, okay? There is actually a second redeemer in the book of Ruth. And, and you see this as you go down. Let's just continue and, and kind of wrap up the story. In, in chapter 4, verse 9, Boaz first announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon, and I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Down in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. You read that, you're thinking, oh, that's talking about Boaz, but keep reading. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Wait, the child, the child here of Ruth and Boaz is called a redeemer. You say, wait, what does that mean? Well, I think it's pointing us to something really cool. But you gotta, you got to keep reading then. It said, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who, and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
know, why was Naomi so hopeless at the beginning of this book? It's because she said, you know what, my dreams are gone. My, my family line is finished. And so she was so excited when this grandson came along that would carry on the inheritance, that would carry on the family name. And she says, he's my, re- he's my redeemer. This baby born in Bethlehem was my redeemer. Now, the book of Ruth was written during the reign of King David. And the author is pointing us to something really, really, I think, just amazing. And then he's saying, yeah, Naomi had a very limited perspective about what her redemption looked like. She thought, hey, I, I've, I've got redemption from this grandson because he's going to take care of me in my old age. And he's going he's to watch over me and, and he's going to give me security. But the author of the book of Ruth knows something that Naomi doesn't know. He knows that this son, Obed, was going to have a son, Jesse, who was going to have a son, David. You know, I think sometimes we're just like that, where we see our circumstances and we say, how is it that God is working right now? I can't see anything good happening. And it looks like and it feels like God is absolutely silent. And it looks like and it feels like God is not doing anything. Because you say, how can all these tragedies, how can all this hurt and this heartache have a purpose? And the author of Ruth is saying, here's a purpose. God was preparing a line. God was preparing a kingly line. And so Ruth Naomi didn't know how true it was when she said, this Redeemer has been born. Okay? And we're, just, we're so focused on our day-to-day that we can't see what God's doing. And you know what? This redemption was bigger than just a personal redemption. This was more than just a redemption for Naomi. It, if you look at the last verse of the book of Judges, it says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. And that is, if you read through the book of Judges, it is one of the darkest, most depressing books. One of the worst times in the history of Israel where they sinned, they were under bondage. These these men would, these judges would rise up to try to rescue them. But it's dark, it's depressing. And you say, is God working during this time? And the book of Ruth says, in the days when the judges ruled. And here is the story of redemption in the middle of the darkness, saying, not only is this, is this a story of redemption for Naomi, this is a story of redemption for the whole nation of Israel. And you know what? We know something that the author of the book of Ruth doesn't know too, because we know that David, out of his line, will come Messiah. Out of his line would come the Savior. And today, today is Palm Sunday. And I was reflecting on that as I was was reading this and and, uh, reading reading through the passage from Mark chapter 11. And the people, they were spreading their cloaks on the road, spreading their branches, and they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom 
of our father David. Does God care about the circumstances in your life? He cares more than you know. And one of the amazing things about this idea of redemption is that God wants to take the dark times of your life and he wants to redeem them to do something greater and more glorious than we can even know. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4-7, he said these light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us a weight of glory. And he wasn't trying to, trying to downplay to say your, your suffering, your hardship doesn't matter. He was trying to say it's achieving for you something so much better and so much bigger than you can even know. And so as we, the band's going to come up here and, and we're going to prepare to respond, I want us to just think about this fact that the hardship, the sickness, the pain, God sees it and he cares about it. I mean, all you have to do is look at this story of Ruth, the story of Naomi, these people without hope who have redemption. And redemption is something that God is offering freely to every single one in this room. And I'd say, if you have never seen your sin, if you have never seen yourself accurately, if you have never thought about the fact that you need to be redeemed, man, take that chance right now to say, God, I need you. I need you to take all the hurt, all the sin, all the shame in my life and redeem it for something bigger to be brought into this bigger story. We just want to praise Jesus for that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus, the one who has redeemed our souls, who paid the price, paid the price in blood to bring us into the family of God, to give us a, a lasting hope. And Lord, I know that there's people in this room that are hurting, that are tired, that feel like Naomi when she says, when I left, I was full and I've come back empty. God, I just pray that you would really touch hearts, that you would remove, move and, and just remind us that there is hope in Jesus, that you are achieving for us glory that we cannot imagine and that we cannot see right now. We just, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.